2: Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dave Kidd of The Sun and Seb Stafford Bloor of Football 365. Sorry about this, but it has to be done. VAR is football's three-letter, four-letter word. It's dominating debate. It's dividing fans and friends. It's dramatic, but destructive. Don't get me started on the new handball rule. It's a mess. What should we do about it, Dave? Oh, we'll scrap it. Maybe, maybe just have goal line technology. I, I, I'm, I'm
0: a anti VAR fundamentalist. I, I was before. Everything that's happened so far has proved me correct, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, my, my main problem is a gut feeling, which is that I, I believe this this issue separates people. Those who believe football is fundamentally entertainment for our enjoyment. What the working man did to go with his his father and his son or daughter and and, and mother to go and watch their football club and enjoy it on a Saturday afternoon. And when our team scores to hug each other and celebrate rather than wait for a guy in a truck near Heathrow to decide whether or not someone's big toe was offside. It is a very fundamental thing with me. After that, which I, I can't personally get over, I just do not want VAR I believe it's a sport to enjoy I don't believe it's a science I don't believe it's a business I don't believe that because there's big money in the game we therefore have to have this ultimate justice which is unattainable anyway but further on from that in terms of the actual technicalities of where we are at the moment it seems to me and I've heard this said and I don't know the exact yes or no of this it seems to me that the handball law has been altered to suit VAR and to make it more black and white, so that VAR works better, which is the tail wagging the dog. That is something that may be smoothed over. I think um, it's my assumption that VAR is not going to go away. I, but I don't actually believe this 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 thing we keep hearing that you can't put a genie back in the bottle. That once you have VAR, you can't step back from it. I don't believe it's an inextricable tide. I believe that if enough managers, players, administrators, fans dislike it and we're seeing more and more people coming to that point of view then it can be reversed because we, we can step back mm. we can just go with line calls i don't think many people are opposed to goal line technology and that's where i am on the debate um I'm, I'm probably still in a minority but i think i'm in an increasingly large minority of people who would just
2: rather bin the whole thing yeah that one seconded for me but you were at city mm-hmm. on on saturday evening seb you know we talk about well slide rule efficiency, it kills spontaneity, but also we we're talking about the handball rule there. To be honest, we can, re- you know, we can read the, the laws, but do you actually understand what's going on? Because it's so inconsistent.
1: Uh, not really, Mike. I mean, this is a point Pep Guardiola made after the game. He was talking about his issue really wasn't with the, the goal that was ruled out in stoppage time. It was with a failure to award a penalty against Eric Lamella in the first half. But he did talk about sort of three very prominent handball incidents in the last six months so obviously the one which occurred on saturday night um the uh block on Sadia Mane's shot in the super cup which wasn't given uh, as a penalty and then the Lorente inverted commas handball uh at the etihad uh, in the champions league quarter final last season it's a strange thing because i've been watching the game for over 30 years and i feel that like now i don't really understand the handball laws anymore and, and it's it's. Um, I think they've covered it. It's been constructed now in a way which makes it black and white for the purpose of VAR's interventions. And I think whilst anybody who watches the replays of that goal back now would say, yes, that's clearly been influenced by Han sort of the received wisdom which has been built up over the last well, 100 years really is that that is not really within the spirit of a, an infringement within the box. That is not a, a player punching the ball into the net. That is not a player trying to influence the pattern of the play by using his hand. It's, uh, it's baffling. It's baffling. Take all the tribalism out of it. And no, I didn't hate seeing that goal being disallowed. But I feel like what we're watching isn't really football. It's kind of physics and math sometimes, which I think is... Especially for the people in the ground. I think I've yeah. I've been at three games so far this season. and I must have seen probably about seven or eight VAR checks. Um, the majority of those have not been intrusive. They've not affected the spectacle. But when it does, it's very strange. It's a very strange... Tell me a the picture states. then of, okay. of that goal, in inverted
2: commas, okay. uh, in the 93rd minute or whenever it was on, on Saturday. What was the... Mo- you know, your instinct is right goal. Yeah. Or or rewrite. Yeah, or rewrite. (laughs) Um, And then it takes too long
1: to actually come to a conclusion, doesn't it? So what's the mood in the stadium like? Okay, well, so initially delirium because City have won the game. Um, Now the kind of the new instinct is to watch the referee, to watch what he's doing with his hand in his ear. And, you know, especially because of what happened last season. So all eyes on Michael Oliver. Nobody in real time really spotted an infringement. There was no question of offside, so it was sort of.
0: You thought to look, did you, when you were in? I absolutely, there, absolutely. Because, because of what the,
1: happened last right, season, yeah there. And I was yeah, there Last season when it happened, it it, was, exactly. It absolutely, you know.
0: I just no one saw that one coming. It, it, I didn't, it, it, at home, I didn't see that one coming.
1: No, no. I mean, it, we were. I was at Stockley Park before the season began. Mm-hmm. Um, And I'm aware of the speed at which these checks take place Mm and what the intention is. And and sort of Oliver started to kind of walk back towards the the halfway line. There was no indication that he was really being advised that there was something within the passage of play which needed Mm -hmm. to be looked at. And so he thought, goal. So I was on with my, uh, well, you know, and so it seemed aspect of my match report. (laughs) And then he walked back to the the 18-yard box and disallowed the goal. And then on the screen, the uh, no-goal decision came up. And it was bizarre because it was sort of obviously different parts of the stadium recognized that at different points. Yeah. So you had this sort of shattered response to it, which was very strange. It's it kinda of takes some getting used to because it's not it's it's against everything that I've got used to inside a football stadium. No,
0: no Spurs players w- w- were um
1: Well look at Hugo Lloris's reaction when he's told by the referee he starts laughing. Yeah. yeah. Which is very, very instructive yeah. about I mean I and players yeah. know players know, you know. Yes. Well any exactly. of us top level players who
0: play the game all their lives they know the the spirit of the game they yeah. they know when something is amiss and when it isn't and if there's been any chance yeah. I and mean, footballers are cheats all footballers are cheats they will they will <laughs> any any <laughs> any 50-50 throw on that they know is actually going the other way they will they will appeal for it there was not they will a appeal single for appeal, appeal anything, and no spurs player yes. i don't think any west ham player appealed for the brighton goal that was just allowed, offside uh, in the first half on Saturday, either I mean I don't think there was any appeal then for off offside, um, and that, that that's the level of veracity kind of you know the, the way the way it's being looked at now um, forensically. Um, that, that's the sort of level we're at where nobody who's actually on the field playing the game or, or in the stadium, seemingly, has any idea there's been an infringement. And mm. I, was, I, was, I was there for the Sterling goal in the quarterfinal last year. I remember Lingard's goal, which would have won England the, the um, yes. semi-final against Holland in the Nations League. It was another one where in the stadium, no one had a clue. It was just a great, great delirious celebrations. And again, a minute, minute and a half later, it seems, mm. all, all cut dead.
2: Yeah, because football, in essence, eh, is a game of human error. It's yeah. defined by human error in many ways. Mm. So we're moving away from that. His human error, you know, I'm looking at City's performance against Spurs. Yeah, There wasn't an awful lot of human error in that performance. Okay, they dropped their first points since January. But that was another
1: indication of how good these guys are. They were fantastic. I mean, they were, uh, I couldn't, even now, two days Later, I still can't believe that Spurs didn't lose that game because they got battered. Mm. They didn't play very well. Um, they really did get away with one, but I thought so many aspects of City's performance were were brilliant. I mean, Guardiola afterwards spent more of his time talking about what pleased him about their performance than he did about VAR. Mm. He was very enthused about Kevin De Bruyne's return to fitness, which is actually the kind of the, the hidden subtext of last season. Mm. You know, Liverpool were well, almost perfect. Missed out by a point. But you could probably describe City as being underpowered for most of the season because he wasn't really a factor. Played eleven games he, in the end Absolutely, league absolutely. Yeah. He's and their it, best player. He's still
0: comfortably their best player.
1: And he was, he was, he was magnificent. When, when he, when he's playing well, when his vision and his range of passing and his execution on the field, all of the other parts around him makes so much more sense. And Spurs, time and again, you, you, it looked like they were making obvious errors. So there was always space in both of their channels. City were able to move the ball upfield as if they were, you know. Shadow playing in, in 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 training, it was that easy, um, and that's really a mark of uh, of how accomplished City are because Spurs are, oh, I'd say, the third best side in the country, beaten European Cup finalists. You know, this is not this is not a uh, it's not a game against a no hoper side. That is just the that's a measure of the gulf that exists between the very top of the league and which is City mm. and everyone else, with the exception of Liverpool. Mm.
0: I'm a bit concerned about City's defend, defending. Yeah. I, I still think, despite everything and and the way and the way they absolutely dominated a very good team and 30 shots to three, I think it was. Yep. That they that that Tottenham's first goal was just to move straight down the middle. The goalkeeper should have saved it. That the, the defender should have dealt with it. Then there's just a, a corner that isn't. You know, Moore is allowed to win a header. Goes five for eight, wins the header from a corner, and and that costs you the game. And that that is you know, Guardiola himself says. That's the great thing about football is that you can have all these percentages in your favour. You can have eighty percent possession. You can have thirty shots to three, and you can still end up not winning the game. And because of basic defensive errors. And my concern is that. City I mean obviously company was the age he was at and uh, but he still I thought shored them up massively in that run in last last year. Stones seems to be gone at all levels. Otamendi um, I don't think he's absolutely top. Why draw. is it with and I'm, Stones? I'm, I, and I'm really surprised they didn't bring in a centre-half.
2: Why, why is it with Stones do you think? Is that a confidence sh- issue or has he just been found out? It seems like a
0: more of a mental issue yeah it's, it's, it does seem as though you know Been talking personal issues and things like that. I I just don't think he's he's the player he was a year or two ago. Um, It seems to be quite long lasting, and uh, and I think uh, I'm really surprised City didn't address the issue in the summer. I still think that could that could end up costing them a title.
1: Mm. I wonder how easy it is to be a defender at Manchester City. I mean, it's kind Mm. of it's the, the modern equivalent of being. Manchester United's goalkeeper after Peter Schmeichel. Like, it's almost an attribute of its own to be able to play in a, in a, a system which is exposed to danger so rarely for a side that almost always dominates possession. It's kind of a... Um, the demand is almost for a different sort of defender. It's kind of a, the the issue which, amongst a few others, which which costs Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League every single year, is that they they, individually, they have competent defenders on the pitch. But as a system, it's not kind of... It's not exposed to enough of a threat on a regular basis to really harden those defensive attributes. It's a theory. It might be very tenuous, but it, it's just you look at that City defence, maybe with the exception of Zinchenko, who I don't really think is a fullback, and he's, he's a nice footballer, but I, he's not a defender for me. Um, and you think for someone like John Stones, would being more regularly involved, being more tested on a week-to-week basis, would that be to its benefit over, over the long term? I don't know. Maybe. Mm. You know, we know from circumstance
2: how much of a perfectionist Pep Guardiola is let's look at the flip side of that Dave if we could that spat with Aguero that was that ominous
0: no, I don't think so. I think we love it, and I, you know, I love it, and my my newspaper loves it when there's a big <laughs> high-profile fallout like that, and we love watching it. It's you know, it's like we rub neck at car crashes, don't we? And we like to watch, you know, a, 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 a top manager, you know, having it out with with a leading player. It's, it's quite it's got a compelling quality to it. But I don't. I think they're both excellent professionals who've worked together. for, say, for three years fairly harmoniously. I think I think Guardiola, you know, in the early days brought a lot extra out of Aguero, who, you know, who's become a far more rounded footballer under him. Uh, and I think it was just two guys who wanted to win a match and having different opinions on, on how, how City best did that. Um, it was funny, obviously, one, another thing with the VAR decision we overturned is they were always making up, weren't they, about it, weren't they? <laughs> it's getting during, his neck. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah celebrations yeah. of yeah. Uh, Actually, I told you so. Jesus has scored. Hey, there you go. And then, actually, no, he hasn't. So, therefore, was, was
2: where I right then, maybe? Or yeah, was, yeah. Is, is Sterling more of a pet project? In, because here's someone who came in. Guardiola talks about his capacity to learn from mistakes. Mm. He's developing his role within the team. You know, seven in four games, he could have, he could be
1: their main goal scorer this season, couldn't he? Absolutely. He he actually reminds me a lot of uh, Pedro at Barcelona under Guardiola, in the sense that sort of a lot of his um, a lot of his virtues within that side are tied to his movement and his ability to be a kind of, and this is meant in a flattering way, a system player. He's an extension of everything that City do well in the sense that. He is the player that best exploits their movement and the kind of displacement that causes in a defence. I mean, um, I think I think I think Raheem success actually speaks quite highly of Raheem Sterling the person because he's had to suffer a lot of criticism. I mean, it seemed as if for about a year we talked about nothing else other than his you know, inability to finish chances properly, mm-hmm. and that's really improved. And also, there are the uh, the darker issues that he's he's been exposed to, which he's done tremendously well to, to cope with and he's he's just a great success story but yeah he um he he looks uh, like he's entered the season red hot mm. let's look at tottenham and um
2: the the sense dave almost that Maurizio Pochettino's there's a bit of frustration still mm. bubbling under the surface he's talked about the vulnerability that they they're under yeah. now in before the um the window closes mm. in europe mm. uh, has he been sort of outleavied here
0: yeah possibly i think he's um I think he, I'm think i he not entirely convinced everyone says that Spurs have had a great transfer window. I think one of the great um, strengths of Tottenham under Pochettino has been the full-backs. Um, when Walker and Rose were particularly flying a couple of years ago, obviously Walker's long gone. Trippier was very good, at, had a poor season last year where he had one or two issues, but I still think, yeah, you know, a quality well, it, player. see the ball he put into yeah, Atletico last that. night. Atletico yeah. Yeah. Madrid don't tend to buy and start with Muppets, <laughs> do they? Trippi <laughs> is still a very good footballer. Trippy is gone, hasn't been replaced. Rose could well go before the end. Rose, I think, was back uh, very close to his, his very best last season, the end of last season. Quality player. And if Rose goes, which is quite possible, I would argue they haven't, Replaced him because Sessignon, Having watched a lot of Sessignon, is for me a forward player. He may get away as a wing back, but I think I'd I'd, I'd always want. I mean, I mean, I've spoken to Alexander Mitrovic, who's told me he'll end up being, a, you know, a, a great number nine finisher. You know, that's what he thinks. He thinks he's that good of a you know a penalty box predator. That's someone who knows what he's talking about. So I don't think Sessignon is a replacement for Rose. I, a lot of people seem to be saying that. I'm not convinced Pochettino thinks that. I think he thinks he's a very good player, but I don't think he thinks he's a left-back in a flat-back four, certainly. So therefore, I don't understand why Spurs have gone and weakened themselves significantly, potentially, if Rose goes, and they're willing to let him go, uh, in in those two full-back areas. And I think that's going to really cost Tottenham over the course of the season.
1: Mm, It's going to be a nervy few weeks, isn't it? A couple of weeks. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I agree completely with what Dave says. I mean, Sesson can play full-back. I don't think that makes him a full-back um that's just a kind of testament to the breadth of his ability the worry for me i mean the long-term worry at left on the left side is obvious at the moment the right is probably worse because the long-term plan is to play one foot there but that's a kind of theory at the moment i know he plays there for argentina but at club level he's not proven there um serge Aurier can't tackle which is well, he um, wants out anyway he, he wants out he may well go back to paris saint-germain apparently as I understand it, the decision to sell Kieran Trippier was not a football issue. Um, so it's a strange one. I think Spurs have done some very good things over the transfer window. But had, you, had we been having this conversation six months ago, I'd say that the priority had to be those fullback errors because Tottenham have never been a better side to watch than they were when Walker and Rose are on either side because that's where the power and the width comes from. That's where the gear changes in their sort of temperament came from, and it's never been replicated. They finished last season very well. They got the Champions League final. I'd say they were not actually that great last year, especially on the Premier matches, League. Didn't they? Exactly, uh, 13 matches, but they, they kind of, yeah. They, they, yeah. the the end of the season when they were just dead on their feet, they had no, they had no width, it yeah, became very, very predictable, and fullbacks were a, a must, and that hasn't been done. How do you see Ericsson playing out? <sighs> I think he'll go, I think he should go. I think one of the great disappointments from Saturday, you know, among a few, was his performance because this is a player that Balecans wants to play for a club of Real Madrid size and you think in that context you are playing in a headlining game against a very very strong opponent that is your chance to not necessarily have your very very best game but look as if you want to take command of that game and I compare his performance with someone like Eric Lamella Lamella is a flawed player, accept that but if you look at his determination to be involved again and again and again and compare it with sort of the passive nature or passive tone of Eriksson's performance, I don't think that's a very flattering comparison. I don't think that speaks to someone that could cope with existing in the kind of rare era that, that the Real Madrid play in. Certainly not. He's one level down, isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah, he's, not, he's a very good footballer. He's just not an outstanding one. And I think his best bet would actually be to sign a new contract. I don't think he'll do that. But if he's not going to uh, sign a contract now, he's got to go. So
0: you know? There's like a player. player's head's gone, yeah, doesn't want to be absolutely. there anymore. He's been there a good... How long has he been there? Five years? He's been there. Years.
1: 2013,
0: I think. Years, well, he, was yeah. one of the, he was one of the Gareth Bale um, He came of, like, in with super the supermarket trolley dash, wasn't he? One <laughs> yeah.
1: well, of the ones he, that did work. He's been excellent for Tottenham. Very, very he's good, had a yeah. very, very good Tottenham career. But if he's not going to sign a new contract, he's got to go. And if he's not if his head is not in Tottenham season, he's definitely got to go. And if you take a, if you take a little bit of loss on that, so be it. Pochettino will want that one. Yeah, absolutely. You were both at at Chelsea yesterday. Mm.
2: Um, Dave, is there a bit of a pattern already emerging there where Chelsea have an absolutely stellar 15 minutes? They fly out of the blocks and then, you know, they're hanging on for dear life before the end. Is that, the state of play then? Yeah, he sort of said, you know, afterwards
0: in the press conference, he sort of said, so that's that, you know, that, that first 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe he said, that's how we want to play. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'd all like to play 100 miles an hour and, and, you know, create chances every minute of every game. Because could know. have been three or But up, it, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. work out like that. There's, there's, you know, A, there's the fact that you're going to get knackered and B, there's the other lot. So, you know, it's not its not really a plan to say, right, we're just going to go for it and try and <laughs> score as many goals as possible. That's not a, a plan, I'm sure. I'm, you know, I'm not suggesting Lampard's, you know, not, a, not an intelligent football man he is. But um, I think there's so many flaws in that Chelsea squad. It's the thinnest Chelsea squad for 20 years. Um, and obviously that's because of the, the transfer ban, but they've lost an awful lot of... Star quality there. They've obviously lost one of the best players in the world in Hazard more than anything. They've lost in Louise, they've got the, the, they've lost a, a flawed player, but, but certainly the, the defender with the most character, he's gone, not been replaced. Um, they lost Fabregas last season. I know he was coming towards the end, but he hasn't really been replaced. They had a couple of centre forwards who who have been in or around world class in Morata and Higuain who didn't do it for Chelsea they haven't been replaced it looked like a League Cup team Mm -hmm. but that's that's what they've got now they've got a couple more kids who are good good players hudson Adoya, Loftus-Cheek and then they've got Rüdiger and after that that that's the best they got yesterday. Yeah. It's not like they've got loads of players out. Mm. It's, it's certainly not the League Cup team, but it looks like a, a Chelsea League Cup team of previous years. There's so many holes. We knew a lot of this anyway. Lampard knew a lot of this when he came in, and Lampard probably wouldn't have got that job if it hadn't been for the transfer ban. He he was there to try and you know lift the spirits. In reduced circumstances, and and, and there was a, a you know real carnival atmosphere around Stamford Bridge before kickoff, and for the first seven or eight minutes of that game, when they were playing you know, came at, at Leicester like a train. But it's not sustainable playing like that, it's not sustainable trying to finish in the top four with that squad.
2: Mm. Mason Mount, you know, if you're talking about feel good factor in that, yeah. he embodies it, doesn't he? And player, young player, of great technical quality, and okay, there's improvement in him, mm-hmm. but you can see that he's worth
1: the act of faith terrific player yeah i mean he's going to uh important thing for him at the moment is that uh people have patience with his peaks and troughs because that's part of a young player's development cycle he's going to have bad games but the positives he brings uh, it's it's very rare that you see a player like that make a premier league debut at home or even last week at old Trafford because he was he was very good for for at least a half there he's got everything you need to play as a kind of a modern number 10 i mean he's He's an active part of Chelsea's press. Where his goal came from, he makes excellent runs into the penalty box. He probably could have had two or three yesterday by half time. I think um, you know Lampard obviously has a lot of faith in him. He's got an existing relationship with him, and that patronage is very important for a young player. If you compare it to the Callum Hudson-Odoi situation last season, where it became almost sort of Hudson-Odoi versus his manager at, at certain points, certainly around winter time, when a player feels that he's not you know, one bad pass away from the bench or from being dropped, you know, you, you see a sort of a, a bolder product as a result. And he, he's, uh, he's very exciting. If, if he's not in the, uh, the England squad, i uh, will be very, very surprised. He's terrific. Yeah. But is that
2: a warning inherent in that last sentence? In other words, don't rush him.
0: Yeah, sure. I think that, that actually, um, spite of what I said, uh, you know, and I do think Chelsea are going to struggle to finish top six even this season. Um, there is that understanding, I think, from the club hierarchy mm-hmm. certainly from supporters that this is a different season this is a, and they've, they've they've really wanted to see young talent flourish they obviously as Seb said last season it was all about hudson Adoya playing obviously unfortunately it's it a badly timed injury because he, he, he surely would be starting given this new ethos on, on youth that they've almost had to go with so I, I just think that um that there will, be a certain, there will be a lot more patience with Mount and with other young players there than there would have been in previous seasons at Chelsea. Mm. But the, the problem is that trying to blood four or five young players at yes. once is, is very difficult. Trying to blood one or two is great. Four or five, there's not, that, there's not the right balance about the squad that when things are going right, they do need the senior pros to learn from, to, mm. to you know,
2: take their lead from. But does that patience exist with Frank Lampard in terms of... You know what football's like. Conventional wisdom, you know, soon becomes, you know, the the um, you know, irredeemable truth. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know, Lampard's great, but he doesn't know how to do a substitution. You know, he, he mm. waits too long. Yeah. That's already being said, which is unfair in itself. Yeah. But, but if it's Chelsea are actually... struggling after a couple of months and they're in the
0: yeah. bottom half of the table, say, then, then there is going to be a lot, an awful lot. And, and then we're going to have to see whether this is a new Chelsea or not, aren't we? You Whether know, Abramovich has in any way and his and, and and Marina and the people there have in any way changed and are you know, are able to do what they said. I'm sure they said they were going to be patient with Villas Boas when he arrived. Sure <laughs> I heard that at the time. And due to Lampard and one
2: or two hours in the dressing room, it didn't didn't happen. Yeah. What about Leicester? I've got the hot right, I think they could even get into the fourth if, if the season goes perfectly for them. Um,
1: they should have won that game, shouldn't they? Definitely, definitely. They had the chances to. I mean, the shame of it was, Mike, is they started so badly. They started, I mean, I remember writing when um, doing my intro before the game had begun and, and saying that, uh, you know, in previous seasons, this is kind of a day out for Leicester. Um, the championship, you know, season accepted, of course. Um, and this is a, in this context, this is a chance to knock over a fragile big side. And they started terribly passively. Um, and uh, yes, Chelsea played extremely well for 20 minutes and at an intensity that, you know, very few sides were able to match. But as if they were content not to compete in the middle of the pitch, they were defensively very, very suspect. I think Leicester are probably a year away from being a in the top six conversation, depending on what you know how they invest. Because whilst they're very pretty, very effective with the ball and going forward, I've got a few issues with the way they uh, the way they look at the back. I don't think it's kind of. I think they've got to um, you know the, the, the displacement caused by Harry Maguire sells so a bit of a problem. The Turkish defender, whose name I can't pronounce, is not quite as mobile, he's not quite as attuned to the pace of the game. Uh he's a very good, no nonsense defender, but I'm not sure he has the kind of the the, the breadth of abilities that Maguire does. Um so I, I still see it as a little bit of a top heavy team. Jamie Vardy's is getting a little bit older. I don't see a proper deputy for him at the moment. I'm not sure Ian Acho is gonna pan out the way he was supposed to. So there are a few holes and it's quite a thin squad. I think a lot of it is going a lot of the football at the moment is going through James Madison, Tielemans. Um, they're very dependent on Indeedy to kind of lock up the midfield at the base. So yeah, there's there's depth problems, there's consistency issues. One of the issue, one of the, the problems they retain from the Claude Puel era, mini era I guess, is this weird capacity to look like three or four different sides within the space of ninety minutes. Yeah. Like you can watch them in for for a half and think no chance. This is a mid table side, all kinds of flaws. And then they come out off the break and they look brilliant. They played Chelsea off the pitch in the second half and um, they're a little bit more efficiency in front of the goal. They could have won 2 or 3 1, possibly.
2: What about Brendan Rodgers? you know, remaking acquaintances with him again, Dave. Um, he seems to be the perfect coach for that type of young and evolving team. Yeah. I mean, obviously,
0: he got a lot of flack when he left Celtic, when he did, you know, when they were you know, close to the end of their season go for that domestic travel as they always, they always seem to achieve. And and, and um, he did that because, he, he, you know, he genuinely felt Leicester was the right project for him. For him and it did, does seem like that. I, I, I think I agree with Seb. I was slightly disappointed with how much, or how little business they did in the summer. I know Telemans was there on loan and they've had to spend money to bring him in and pray they brought in. And they, they didn't, and obviously they, they didn't replace Maguire the way it went down to the wire and they, and they didn't. They were they obviously were looking for replacements and being quoted stupid money, and probably to their credit, didn't didn't go and spend the vast majority of it on a dunk or an Ake or someone like that. But they haven't replaced Maguire and that's going to leave a gap. And I just I agree. I don't think I don't think the squad is really strong enough to to go top four or probably even top six. But they are an exciting side to watch. In that second half, they were excellent. Um, you just feel it, it was sort of significant. The Madison miss in particular. Yeah. They had two or three very good chances to win it at 1-1, and I think they may end up regretting that. It would have been a real statement win. I agree with what Seb said, that, you know, to go to Chelsea. this is, Obviously, they were vulnerable. They showed that second half, and they didn't, they didn't win it. And they'll, the fact that you, you go to Chelsea and you're very genuinely disappointed not to win suggests you're a good side, obviously, you know, but they should have won it. And I, I, I don't really know if... I, I like Rodgers. I like listening to him. I'm not entirely sure he is quite as good a manager
2: as he thinks he is okay well that's me told anyway um you're at uh, you're saying that you're at uh, tottenham on sunday yes newcastle visit you know you spoke about car crashes earlier on mm. what about this one
1: newcastle what are they doing exactly what they always do shop downwards replace one of the the best um defensive organizers in europe with um with all due respect a championship standard manager um i mean no offense to steve bruce but you know that's not a um, that's not an appointment that was based on any kind of meritocracy. Uh, they look terrible without the ball. I don't want to take anything away from Norwich over over the weekend because um, good performance, lovely hat trick, um, but uh, the, the regression is quite startling because I mean I Newcastle had limitations under Benitez. I mean that's fairly obvious. But what they always were, generally, particularly away from home, was very difficult to break down. And they really just kicked a couple into their own net uh, on Saturday. I think uh, about three weeks ago I I was doing a prediction feature and I had them to finish 20th and nothing I've seen uh, suggests that I'm going to be wrong yet. It's really disappointing because uh, this situation has been going on for a really, really long time. uh, And the Newcastle fans that sort of complain about it are always sort of tarnished with the yeah but this is your entitlement this is you thinking that you still belong in the top four and it's not that at all it's a fan base who have been subjected to illogical decisions for over a decade and a half and they're never given any explanation for it they are fed red herrings about phantom takeovers and illusory you know new dawns and it happens again and again and again and everything that people predicted about what Steve Bruce's Newcastle side at the moment is absolutely on the money and that's got to be very very dispiriting mm.
2: because on you know to follow that theme Dave the recruitment process seems to mirror that where yeah. it's almost like let's just throw a few well, you know, fish at the seal they
0: haven't been spending money the one big difference this year um the last two windows compared to the rest of Ashley's reign is they have started throwing money. They're just doing completely the wrong players. I mean, Miron looks a decent player, uh, but they're broke He just, was completely anonymous. Yeah, that. yeah, but, they're, they're, but I think he's a reasonable player. But um, Joe Linton, looking at just looking at the record, you know, forty million pounds for a guy who's scoring. He scored one one in one goal every four games. I think in Austria for a couple of seasons on loan to Rapid Vienna and, and, and Hoffenheim. His his record was fairly average to suddenly go from not spending any money at all and Michael Owen having still been there, you know, as famous as always, (laughs) Michael Owen was still there, record transfer um, fee, like 12, 13 years on, 15 years on maybe, um, to suddenly throw £40 million a bloke and he missed a glaring header, didn't he? Yeah, he's got to score. Then then uh, gets
2: himself injured.
0: Yeah, and that didn't look like a classic Newcastle number nine, did it, uh, with that that header at at Carrow Road? Um, Yeah, it's a mess. I think they still have good enough players there to stay up because there are a lot of poor sides in that division by the skin of their teeth i think they may stay up i'm slightly less negative about steve bruce i understand but he's not rafa benitez and i think when you've got a limited squad you want a you want ideally someone as with the defensive now of so rafa benitez to make you hard to beat i don't uh, i don't think bruce organizes defenses anywhere near as well as benitez does i don't think he's clueless i think i think he's a guy who's got a decent track record i think his days his best days are probably past him though and uh it was a strangely, it's one of these strangely emotional appointments that have suddenly become derogatory in, in Premier League football, which never used to happen. Solskjaer, Lampard, Bruce, you know, people going back to their roots and it all being very lovely. dovey I don't think it seems to be working at any of those clubs. Mm. Um, we'll see tonight with United. I, I don't personally think that one's built to last either. So, um, yeah, in Newcastle, it's... Uh, It's a mess. It's a slightly different sort of mess than what it's been for the previous 12 or 13
2: years, but still a mess. (laughs) Yeah. You talk about managers making an impact. Jürgen Klopp, by consent, has, has done absolutely brilliantly at Liverpool. I thought that win at Southampton was quite emblematic of the team. You know, not a great... It was an ugly win in many ways. But coming after the Super Cup and the attendant travel problems and fatigue... That struck me as a really
1: mature performance. Well, I have to compare it to Chelsea's. I mean, you know, you sort of. I, I know Liverpool had a little bit of a wobble towards the end um, and actually Adrian made an excellent save in the first half, which kept it level. But in, in terms of sort of a professional, composed, get-the-business-done kind of performance, it was a measure of, uh, of, of what that side has become and, and how reliable it is. And, and sort of, I suppose if you look at kind of uh, the performance of Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino, um, I thought Mane was excellent, um, and you look at how long they played for in Istanbul and how hot it was out there. And it's uh, you no, know, it's uh, a great credit to Jurgen Klopp's management that he he's able to kind of to back up that performance, and also not a Sunday afternoon performance. Saturday, three o'clock, which is especially difficult. Chelsea had an extra day's rest, and they still managed probably about thirty minutes at full intensity. So uh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Front three all firing. And yeah. also, you know, what struck me about Klopp also was that he made light of that mistake by Adrian, didn't he? Which is, again, he mm. knows he know he, ne- he needs him for a few weeks. Yeah. Just lighten up. Yeah, I suppose when you've won, that's maybe easier to do. But yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> he's had some practice man as well with that yeah. situation.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah goalkeeping <laughs> errors have been, a, yeah, it's certainly been plenty of those. Um, Mane has just become a world-class player over the last 12 months, hasn't he? He's really gone up that level. He's been outstanding and... and uh, to have one in your in your front three is that that good? Now they've got two, um, and Firmino's not far behind in his own way. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's it. A, I I again in terms of you know looking back at the transfer window, I thought City I thought City would do one or two more than they did, and I, and I think I still thought Liverpool would do something. Central midfield number ten, something a bit more, a little bit more genuine creativity. I read a piece by Ian Ladyman today saying that they should have they should have signed Coutinho on loan, and I agree with that. I think that's maybe just the one thing they were lacking at time. It's difficult to say they were lacking anything when they won their last 12 or 13 games of the season and the Champions of Europe. But they still, there is still something that that that, that, that could be added to that squad. Which bringing back Coutinho, um, in, ter- in terms of his technical attributes, whether whether his head would have been in it or not, I don't know given what's happened to him in Barcelona, I think a Coutinho, Coutinho or a Coutinho-type player would add so much more mm. to Liverpool. I know they, they felt they needed to balance the books a little, but I thought just one more could have made a big difference
2: to them. You know, talk about balancing the books. You know, Arsenal, who are at um, Anfield next weekend, um, you know, they did well in that sort of transfer tap dance, didn't they, really? Um, got players in. Uh, Chabalos, mm-hmm. you know, made a fantastic impression I look at him and I think, there's a player It will be excellent September, maybe October, but you might find out a little bit more
1: about him in November and December. Is that fair? Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more because I, I think it's very, very difficult for a player to transition from not just Spanish football to English football, but a Spanish midfield to an English midfield. Um, in August, at home, a little bit easier. He was great, by the way. He, was abs- he had a fantastic game, but I think also one of the problems for me, Mike, is that when there's no permanent clause in a loan deal, and when his future is uh, in his mind, presumably the Real Madrid first team, what happens when he hits a dip? What what are what are what is his mental approach to that? Is he someone that will say, right, well, no, I want a place in this team, or does he think, right, well, you know the. the Real Madrid's perspective of this are, are there are there caveats about how a player is going to perform in England and is that going to affect my Real Madrid future? So what happens when that dip inevitably inevitably arises because it will and that's only natural. That's not a criticism of him. That's just the nature of football, uh, especially for, for new signings with fatigue and you know those kind of issues. Um, so yeah, let's 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 uh, hold on to the anointing oil with him for for a few months. I think yeah. What's your your take on? Emery, you know, he talked about maybe not
2: having as good a team this year as he had last year, which struck me as a bit strange. But um, I he,
0: thought they've had a good window, actually. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I like what they've done, uh, given they haven't spent a huge amount. And Pepe has spent a lot of money on Sabalos, looks like a really good player. You have to see with any player coming into the Premier League how they deal with that December January period with no winter break. Well, there is going to be a one week mm-hmm. winter break, isn't there? But um, with the intensity of the and the way the fixtures come thick and fast during the winter months, yeah, and that's going to be a question mark against anyone. I like Tierney, um, I like I, I like Louise for them. I think I think they need a bit more character in the central defence. I know he's got an error in him, but I, I like that signing. Um, I, I think they've done well. Um, I will certainly miss Ramsey. I thought he was outstanding, um, but um, I, I I quite like what Arsenal have done. I quite like the cut of Emery's jib. I think it's very difficult to come in and replace Wenger given the way the culture had been allowed to go under Wenger, the way it become pretty much a holiday camp and try and just change the entire culture of the club. Um, I think he showed signs of doing that last season. Um, it finished disappointingly. But I think, I think they've got a genuine chance of finishing top four. I think I would bat them to finish top four at this stage.
2: Mm. Sean Dyche probably won the press conference uh, on Saturday. What do, you, what do you make of his
1: uh, diving uh, comments? It's difficult because if you watch the game back... He has a little bit of a point. Um, there are a few sort of uh, not very flattering moments for Arsenal players in that. The problem with it is that he makes his point so often off the games. And it's kind of his default position to mm. losing is to kind of to, to have this sort of broad, despondent, where is the game going routine. Mm. Um, and I, I think deep down, most of us kind of agree. But it's the boy who cried wolf. So yeah, maybe maybe just maybe he should he should take a break from that for six months and and talk about a few different things, and then yeah, well, it, it's hard because I like Sean Dyche, mm. he's one of the few really honest managers in the league, and if you if you sit in a press conference with him, you get honest answers, mm. and you can, he's 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 very um, yeah he he's, he's very easy to talk to, and he's very forthright, and he speaks a lot of sense, but I just think that. This kind of comment is always going to be picked up, and it's always going to be front and center of any Burnley performance which is unsuccessful, and so it becomes a becomes an almost dead issue over time. Um, Pick your battles, don't you? As well, I didn't seem like it was particularly glaring in the eye. I think think you have to. If the game had been decided by something like that, okay, 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 fair enough. But it was these were sort of there were little incidents which you see in every game you watch at any level in any country, and it's kind of you, you know, this is not a challenge unique to Burnley. So is this really? Sean Dyche's problem to attack if that makes any sense I, I I'm a little bored of hearing it okay well I certainly think that Burnley have got, can be nowhere near a relegation
2: a no. battle this season so obviously the focus on that is on the, the teams coming up let's look at Aston Villa they're they're learning the hard way that your mistakes get get punished um they played seven of their 12 new signings um at the weekend as a veteran of you know, Fulham's attempt to mm. throw stuff at the wall last year, yeah. what do you make of it? There's a lot of comparisons with that. It's the obvious
0: comparison to may I think it's slightly unfair. I think, uh, to be fair, going back to Fulham, I mean, it was two very poor, costly midfielders. Apart from that, we didn't spend... Fast amount actually, um, they got it got it horribly wrong with Seri and um, and Anguissa. Um, but um, with Villa, it seems a bit more rounded to me. There was less um, panic buying right right in, right, on, right on deadline. I think I'm right in saying um, it's always going to take an awful lot, you know, of, of gelling when you bring that many players in. But I don't think Villa were particularly good last season. Uh, I don't think there were enough. But I, I think it's very easy to say, "Oh, you stick with the players that got you there." I think Norwich and Sheffield United were, were both much better teams. I think they did a, a great job under Dean Smith of, of coming late and winning, and then winning the playoffs. But I think they needed to do a lot of surgery. Um, I think, excuse me, my ignorance. The, the, the player who scored the goal. Um, on Saturday, um, Douglas Luiz, um, looks a real player. That was a terrific mm, yeah. strike. He looks a good player. There's, 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 I mean, Heaton's a good goalkeeper. There, 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 there are players there that are known... Tyrone players. Mings. Yeah, like Tyrone Mings, a, Mings uh, is a really, a really good, good defender. Player. There are a lot of known quantities that we know will do a good job in
2: the Premier League there. And I think enough to probably keep Villa's heads above the bottom three. Mm. What about Norwich, Seb? You know, you look at Norwich and you've got Timo Pukki mm-hmm. scoring a hat-trick. And mm. Now, after that, it was interesting, the consensus among the recruitment community was that yeah had a heck of a season last season he was a disaster area at Celtic and probably his chance conversion rate won't be that brilliant in the Premier League we
1: scored four in two games and one really well taken goal at Anfield as well that was the sort of that really impressed me too I mean obviously let's wait because given what we said about Newcastle and the issues they're experiencing um, maybe that's not quite the right context in which to judge him but I mean his finishing looks doesn't look too much wrong <laughs> with it at the moment, does it? They've been good goals, yeah. haven't they, all four of them? Yeah. But also, I think, I think the virtue of Norwich is he suits the way they're trying to play. I think Norwich are one of the most, um, it, well, the times that I saw them last season, they're very entertaining to watch. They're very, very well coached. They actually remind me a little bit of, um, of Fulham when they were in the Championship, you know, in terms of how everything seems to be logical and how the players fit their different slots and how they, yeah, they combine. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I've got a few questions over Norwich's defence. Um, so let's see how many chances he actually gets at the other end of the pitch because that's the great problem is, is not sort of, not necessarily um, newly promoted size carrying forwards who can't convert chances but newly promoted size creating chances for those players to convert so another month on that one I'd say let's see where he, uh, where he is in October, November OK well about Sheffield United Dave you know, first
2: fully British or Irish mm-hmm. team since April 2012 uh, Wilder has probably made out a career, a career out of being underestimated. Mm. Uh, is he about to do it again?
0: Yeah, it's a club that's got a right, got a real sense of identity about it, and and, and it just feels right. And uh, I got a feeling they they, they they may well stay up as well. Um, I, I I just I love I love Bramall Lane. It's old school. The way that Wilder's built that team of British and Irish players, I think will will limit his own chances of moving onwards to a bigger club. I think other clubs will look. Bigger clubs will look at Wilder. Despite his amazing track record, and if he does keep Sheffield United up, he's made a good start at it. Four points from two games. You know he should be someone destined for bigger things. I think it holds him back if he doesn't look to to a broader, you know, range of players. But he's got he's got that identity. There's a lot to be said for it. If you if you are without being in any way xenophobic, there's a lot to be said for having at least a very large core of British players. If you're in a team that are going to be that are going to be fighting relegation, that is going to be your priority. There is a lot to be said for those old school attributes of of spirit and buckling down under pressure during matches buckling down under pressure during a season when you've had a bad run and being able to, to, to turn things around in the dressing room. Sheffield United have got a lot of that. Um, they've also got some decent quality as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, just, I just got that gut feeling that, that you know, having failed to stay out once or twice under, under Warnock, I think that Wilder will, will actually
1: pull it off. I'll tell you what, Mark, I saw them at Bournemouth on the opening day and they were terrific. They're a really, really good football side. They're not going to thunder into teams. They're not another Cardiff they will outplay a lot of teams, especially at home this season. And that I mean, especially um Norwood in their midfield, Lundstrom as well, Fleck, that's a really good unit. Um and they will just be Dave mentioned it earlier, there are quite a few poor sides in the division this year. I think they'll be too good for a few of them I don't, I, I, I don't think they're, they're necessarily playing for 17th I think they'll probably be a sort of 14th, 15th place side by the end of the
0: Norwood season Norwood has been promoted three years in a row never given a chance which, which really I find really strange like know, I, of he looks and, a yeah, terrific yeah.
1: player he's a really good footballer he, he really his, is his delivery from yeah. open play and set pieces is yeah. brilliant. I can't believe someone hasn't hasn't mm. given an opportunity because he's uh, he hasn't been costly he hasn't been an expensive player but he's you uh, know.
2: you mentioned John Lundstrom there yeah Mm. Uh score on Saturday, played in all four divisions. Yeah. Which I suppose brings us round to a final question about the power of the pyramid. Uh, you know, we're in a week where a football league club of one hundred and thirty four years mm. standing, Barry, could be out of business, out of the football league by Friday. Mm. How scary is that? It is very scary. I mean this is you know, this is Bury,
0: a great historic club, the Shakers of Gig Lane are a famous team for anyone you know, who's grown up watching English football. They're the team who until last um, May held the record outright for the biggest ever win in an FA Cup final 6-0, which City um, equal, equaled only this May. They're, it's a great football club. Um, terrific place. So I always remember watching them playing against Fulham in the third division in, in an era of, of, of hairy backsided centre-halves and they were always one of the teams <laughs> who came down and played a bit of football and I always had a soft spot for Berry. And we do rightly value the, the pyramid system. The one thing that is definitely unique about English football is the depth of support for local clubs down, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, going down to Conference North where you're quite frequently getting four-figure crowds and 5,000 crowds. That is a great strength of the English game. There that, that is, is a genuine thing to be proud of. But we haven't got the leadership in the Football League, which recognises the role of supporters, which recognises the historic value of these clubs and, and which is, is willing to actually legislate for proper ownership to act against rogue owners and time after time rogue owners are allowed to buy clubs we've seen it at coventry and Charlton, portsmouth before that blackpool various other clubs in recent years the football league doesn't get a grip on it it's just a private members club which doesn't actually clamp down and, and realize the value of its own member clubs and their supporters and that's the tragedy
1: you agree with that absolutely i mean i um something that, that dave said really struck me that it's like the Football League's responsibility, among other things, is to protect the game from the kind of people that are trying to infiltrate it now. Now, the idea that there are charlatans and Walter trying to enter the game and use it for their own means is not new. It's been happening for decades. And so the idea that Barry, Barry's ownership situation um, is allowed to exist without the proper proof of funds, it's, it's an extraordinary thing to me. I, I know the damage is being done by the individual, I understand that, and the well right, he would argue that he's got all the evidence
2: available, but he's just not given it to the football league
1: it's kind of although well, i' don't, then i don't understand that then i mean it's just a kind of that's a contradiction in terms really isn't it is a sort of if, if it no good ownership situation really begins with any scenario in which an individual is unable to prove their worth so the, the, the Football League needs to be strict on who it allows into the game. And the Football League are not alone in that challenge, because that's a question for UEFA, that's a question for the Premier League, that's a question for leagues all over the world. But this is not a unique situation even now. if We, we were talking off-air about the, the, the problems at Bolton as well, and that's a, it's not an identical situation, but it's got some very familiar themes within it. Mm. Well, football is awash with money, but you can't buy what clubs
2: like Berry represent. They matter and they must be protected. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writer's Podcast.